Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the overlap. Our sincerest apologies for taking our early international break between basically the week weekend before Labor Day and Labor Day. We decided that that was going to be our international break. So here we are after the first round, or I guess technically the second round of games during the international break. And uh, we are recording what are probably going to be a little bit more chill episodes in between the actual club competitions um and when i say chill i of course mean exclusively as it relates to content not related to the u.s men's national team because otherwise we will be very intense therefore we're going to start with the u.s men's national team but neither here nor there Rian, what's up how you been last what 10 days i i legitimately have not seen you in person because you went you know across the country yeah i mean that's probably the biggest reason why we didn't record last week uh partially jet lag which i I don't know (laughs) maybe there is no such thing as jet lag when you're going just across the country because no it there has to be because would you wake up at six in the morning no 5 30 in the morning to start work every day yeah exactly as that's true like it's it's a weird one where you obviously feel like okay it's definitely there's definitely a a difference a time difference here i'm definitely (laughs) i'm definitely feeling something but at the same time you're like well it can't i shouldn't be affected this much it's only a few hours really um but yeah i think that that's probably a bigger reason more than anything else it was it would have been tough to find uh a quiet space in my airbnb to to be able to record last last week so probably wouldn't have been a smart thing to do no uh, no <laughs> it, it would have it would have only been dangerous for either my equipment or just the episode <laughs> content itself so it would have um, it would have been extremely entertaining from a completely non-football standpoint yeah so agree we'll, we'll leave it we'll leave it at that probably and <laughs> yeah. uh, continue on our ways we're we're but, happy to be back i don't hold any ill will towards around because we all need some time like that to just oh. not do things so. I, well, I appreciate i appreciate i appreciate your kind heart elias yeah because um, i'm a, normally a very uh cold-hearted man but <laughs> but uh but no yeah this uh obviously vacation was nice and then it was a long and tiring three-day labor labor day weekend and that did that almost did not include the u.s um but the high one of the highlights of the weekend so i went to go see um that new marvel movie the shang chi oh wait you actually saw it i've I've been to like find time to go see it yeah i heard it was really good very impressed very impressed with um with the fight choreography especially because like the slow-mo no 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 nothing to do with the slow-mo with like the actual fighting because it was like obviously this is the first asian american um superhero in in the mcu at least um the the film series and so it's like the first time that we're seeing like more traditional like karate martial arts yeah fighting in 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 a marvel movie and it was just done really really well Uh, as someone who's who's seen um like crouching tiger and dragon um and a couple other bruce lee movies because 
my dad is a is a Bruce Lee fan, so I so I watched a, fair, a decent amount of some karate a, movies a when I was younger. Man. Of course, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and and as someone who's watched a lot of anime in their life as well, true. Too, a lot of a lot of Naruto. Um, the the fight sequences were really really well done. Um, and uh, and just kind of the way the story was told was also felt very anime esque. A lot of flashbacks. To yeah. like childhood and stuff and so yeah honestly like i'm i'm very excited to see more of of shang chi in, in the marvel movies because they've also made him seem pretty powerful too so is he is he in eternals i no, know the answer to that no and i don't want to know i don't want to spoil anything no yeah stop don't. It. no um it's more like the ten rings themselves are very powerful he he just knows how to use them very well. And right. those are like super, super powerful. And I'll just stop it there. Yeah, no, no post-credits <laughs> will be discussed during this podcast. Absolutely not. At all. <laughs> Amazing. I honestly, like I've, it's been on my list of things to genuinely go see. Um, now I just have to, now I just have to do it. <laughs> I'll, I'll find time at some point, like probably over the weekend, but amazing. Anyway, so should we talk about some soccer, some footy? What's going on in the football world? Um, oh, no, I which... like talking about mixed martial arts um, <laughs> <laughs> movies. I mean, I mean to be to be going. fair, I I do. So <laughs> we could do that for the next thirty minutes, but not again. Neither here nor there. I do want to talk about the U.S. the U.S. men's national team as a whole, but more specifically about the U.S. versus Canada game, which. Saw everything from injury to poor finishing to a a man in charge who seemingly does not know what his starting 11 is with the asterisks that I have to give him credit for the team he played in the first game during this international break, which I thought was probably the best attacking trio personally. But why don't I stop there before Rian bites my head off and just say, <laughs> are you okay? <laughs> uh, I mean, we kind of wanted to say this was like a chill, a chill weekend. And, a chill, and this, then these episodes will be a bit more chill in general. <laughs> um, unfortunately, two points after two games after the first two world cup qualifiers for the u.s um it has not led to a lot of u.s soccer fans being chill if you could imagine um especially on the most toxic platform ever (laughs) created in the history of man that is twitter um it, it honestly yeah not not instilled with a lot of confidence i'll put it that way but i obviously will get into that as as we get into the game itself well let's start i guess maybe not so much with just the canada game because we probably have to go back an additional game to the el salvador game a game that saw i texted Rian this by the way i should point out um i said maybe Greg Berhalter should go with the starting front three of 
Conrad, Josh Sargent, and probably Gio Reyna. And shockingly, he did basically exactly that. But I mean, Rian did point out that Gio Reyna played a majority of that or was supposed to play a majority of that game, probably on the right wing. Did not really. Yeah, <laughs> no, largely. more the the opposite. Like I thought, I th- thought he would be playing that game in center in the central midfield where he's been playing a fair amount for Dortmund this season. Mm-hmm. Um, but it as it turned out, uh, Brendan Aronson, for whatever reason, was tasked as being one of the eights in that in that midfield three, um, which. Uh, amazingly led to him having only five completed passes in the first half. The shocking. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 of course. Uh, a guy who plays fully as one of the attacking midfielders for, for um, RB Salzburg in Austria. Very much a 10 for those. Very, who yeah. Don't. Very much like, you know, a, a 10 a, a, at most a wide forward. Right. Um, but no, he's played, played in that front, in that middle three right and i think this this more or less kind of explains or is a good is a theme really honestly a theme of the issues from the first couple games here and honestly issues that were apparent in the summer tournaments as well as like the u.s as a whole doesn't the team doesn't do very well at creating chances And a lot of the issues can be seen in how quickly they play, um, where the ball actually is played to, to try to get into the attacking third, you know, who's actually trying to play those balls that break into the final third. And I think just a theme from the El Salvador game were uh, things that a couple people pointed out um, is that, Verhalter's lineup in that game was a bit too cute, right? Like he, he played Dest and Yedlin in that game as fullbacks, and Yedlin played on the right, and uh, Dest played on the left. I think a lot of there were a lot of issues that both of them contributed to in terms of the attack. I think these first couple games where I think DeAndre Edlin has played basically a game and a half. And, and so is Sergio Dest. Yep. Yeah. They've both struggled. Um, I, I think Dest has struggled in his own way because I think he's not doing well enough consistently on either side of the ball. I, I think you see a lot of times where he picks the ball up and is a bit lazy with it. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean he's standing on the ball he's moving it too slow or anything i mean lazy in the sense of he has this wonderful ability to dribble right and he's so good at he's so good at taking players on and getting past them more times than not you would see him try to do that a lot especially in these first couple games um in el salvador he tried it a lot and to to kind of give him and some of the other players from slack like that field was very poor to be actually trying to play through play very nice football but death's issue and elias you tell me if, if this is also an issue that you 
seen with Barcelona because we've also seen right. Sergio Des get benched <clears throat> from time to time for for Barcelona for you know whatever reasons it might be defensively. I, I know that's always a big one for him, but in these couple games, the amount of times where he's like dribbling, trying to dribble past players, yeah. and almost forgets that that he's got to release the ball or he's trying it too much, maybe from overconfidence. Who knows? Um, it, it puts multiple times putting the team under pressure when he's losing the ball where he is. And we already know he's not the best with his defensive positioning, right? I, I 100% agree. And Dest is actually one of the players I was most disappointed by in this game. Honestly, both, quite frankly. Like, I was very, very underwhelmed. And I think from at a club level, he's had a poor start to the season anyway. One of the things that I think he's probably been told and what he's trying to do, though, is by driving the ball forward, you're releasing pressure away from players like Conrad, like Brendan Aronson, and probably like Gio Reyna as well, right? Giving them the space to operate in between the fullback and the center back, as well as, and it probably Brendan Aronson's case, right, in that 10 position. He's going to attract a lot of attention that way. His number one skill is being able to take on his man, right? We've seen in a lot of Barcelona, at least from a personal view, that he is very good at being able to beat his man. The problem is the second that he's double teamed, that job becomes infinitely more hard or infinitely more difficult. And that was certainly the case, I thought, in many, many situations, which led to balls being lost in pretty inopportune positions. Now, I will say there is a flip side to that argument, right? There's a reason why the entire team was caught out. And if you look at the positioning of, Probably the rest of, not the rest of the midfield, but I would, I would argue the fact that Greg Berhalter set up this team with essentially two midfielders, like two actual midfielders, he walked into a, a numbers disadvantage. He, he, like he, he, that's, it's as simple as that. Like El Salvador had, I think, th- three players in midfield either one defensive mid and one attacking center attacking mid. And so it was three to four players in midfield at any given point against the two of Tyler Adams and Weston McKinney. That's just the numbers game. Like when you're on the counter attack, yeah, you're going to be, you're in a, in a pretty poor position. So there's, there's two sides to that. Yeah. I, I mean, not, not to, try to harp on, on death too much here too because look they, the problems on the ball you know you know were what they were but like you said with the midfield set up as it was you know so as honestly closer to like a 4-2-4 than than a 4-3-3 right uh it, it it did it did open up those issues to happen anyway and i think that the u.s did a good job at limiting El Salvador's chances I think they ended up with like 0.29 xg or something like that and I think that game itself was disappointing but there were enough chances that for the U.S. to score in that game they had enough good chances to feel like they should have put them away put one away at least right I think on another day maybe they win that game 1-0 2-0 something like that because I don't think El Salvador posed a real threat um defensively for the u.s like with the ball and like in situations where the u.s lost it i, I think they defended one-on-one very well that 
is kind of kind of where you have to think about okay was that just level of competition because then what we saw in the Canada game is that really Canada had maybe like three chances three or four chances yeah Yeah. right um throughout the whole game and a lot of I think most of them came in that second half I mean most of them came right after the U.S. scored um, which you know, we can get onto the subs, the <laughs> issue of the of the subs um, later. But what happened in the game against Canada? I think the U.S. still created around the same um, amount of chances in terms of XG. I think they were still somewhere around like one point six, which was where they were um, against El Salvador, which is okay. But Canada also created a, about one point six in terms of XG, and the few chances that they created were really good chances. And that probably has more to do with the fact that Alfonso Davies is like the kind of the, the North America version of Adama Traore pretty much right now. <laughs> like he's pretty much CONCACAF's version of that, where it's like almost, you just have to throw multiple bodies at him <laughs> and that's your best chance. Yeah. Um, but the same overarching issues in terms of chance creation and consistent chance creation, especially in a game where against El Salvador, it was just about 50, 50 in possession against Canada, the U S had 72% possession and still basically were tied with Canada in terms of chances, in terms of quality chances created both, both with two shots on target. I mean, that's, yeah, that's a really exactly. good way of looking at it. <laughs> exactly. And that kind of gets me to my to kind of my biggest question my my question for for you Alex for both of us really but there's obviously an issue with the attack right there's an issue that you have more possession but still not able to create more chances than you did in the game prior and and I know a lot of that does have to go towards Canada and crediting them for how well drilled they were and they were well drilled but um but I don't know Elias what do you feel where do you feel like the issues are with the team in terms of the attack and and do you think there's a if not the attack do you think there's a another issue that's really holding them back in in terms of chances created I think I think that I don't or let me say I don't think it's as simple as they are not creating enough chances in terms of finishing, right? It's not like those two shots on target are are representing missed shots, for example. I think that largely the, the biggest problem with this team is that they're set up in a way that exposes a lot of their defensive vulnerabilities. And I think that that's probably the opposite answer you were looking for, but I I think that's reality. Like the talent that's on the field between whatever front three played in the Canada game, quite frankly, I I'm not going to go into that as well as the subs, but from a defensive structure point of view, you kind of, you kind of hit the nail on the head. This team played more of a four, two, four than they did a four, three, three. And I'm, I'm not trying to get into kind of just this tactical bout over which formation is better. It's again, not that simple, but playing with two, maybe three players in midfield 
versus a Canadian midfield four plus, I guess, uh, wherever Alfonso Davies plays on the left-hand side. I'm, I don't know if you can either he's count like, him as a left winger or a left He's like basically back. a winger for them. He, like, he, yeah. He's pretty yeah. much a winger. So, it, right, and that's my point. It's more of a 3-4-3 three, three or 3-5-2. It, it depends on how you look at it. But, again, it's, it's a numbers thing. Like, there's a ve- I think there's a very clear correlation between being caught out, right, against midfield, opposing midfields, that play more congested through the middle versus this against this U.S. men's national team because this team is very good at playing the ball forward with speed. I think they are actually a good side at doing that. I think where they run into trouble is their positioning in between the lines sometimes, and they find it very hard to actually find space. And that's largely down to the fact that I don't think they utilize wing play enough. And so... I mean, the one the one last note I'll end on is if you look at, I believe, their last four, three or four goals, right, just alone, those have all been scored in, what, a 12-yard square foot radius? Yeah. Or something like that, all within the penalty box, and they're all basically right in front of the keeper, bar Brendan Aronson's, I think. So... Yeah, I mean, even, yeah, even like Aaronson's was like a tap in as well. Like, it, even, yeah, the, no, the, even that, even the, that. I think, I think you make a good point that they, they have shown that they can play quickly, mm-hmm. right? And they can move, the, they can be direct, right? That the goal against Canada was like, that's one of the nicest team goals with the US that they exactly. scored under Burhalter in general. Like, like that, that's one of the best team goals they've scored under him. And even that was created from, just really good counter pressing from from Aaronson and then and then the players flowing forward and, and a lot of credit to Anthony Robinson, who I think was one of the best players on the field for the US um uh on Sunday. But yeah, what you're saying is totally right. They can play quick. We we've seen it, but we've only seen it really happen in those situations where they press, they win the ball, and then they run forward. Right. And, and so when they win the ball high up the field, too, it's not there, there were a lot of times against like El Salvador and against Canada where they they won the ball back a lot against Canada, really, um, as just I mean, 72 percent possession tells you that. Right. But the issues when they got the ball, it moved so slowly um, and. It brings me back a bit to that, the issues of the midfield that that have been played in those in these first two games the first game against el salvador it was too weird it was just too weird it was there was an attacking it, midfielder it in there who was not who was just not someone who is going to look for the same type of space type of spaces as a more traditional central midfielder will do and then against canada it was almost too safe the the pick in terms of you know Tyler Adams, Kellen Acosta, and, and Sebastian Legette. You know, all three guys, players that I like and, and I think can play good roles in the team. But when you play the three of them together as that trio, it feels redundant because those are all guys who are safe with possession. Um, Kellen Acosta, when he's not playing, is like the six, is not really effective um, playing higher up and and Legette is a good guy like recycling possession and keeping things kind of ticking 
forward. They but, all do the same thing. Yeah, they're, they're to, similar, to put it yeah. bluntly, like yeah, they, on the ball, they're they're very similar players, and it's and it's weird to play all three of them together because there were so many instances in that game against Canada where it seems like they obviously were told to try to get forward, Legette and uh, Acosta, but they didn't look comfortable doing it. And so there's outside of just the very slow passing movements side to side and not being incisive enough, those players aren't finding the spaces because they're not used to doing it and leading to scenarios where you watch the game and it's almost like a four, one, five or something like that, or four, one, six. I, I, uh, I'm not, I don't know if I'm counting right. Four, one, five, I think is, is the right. Yeah. I mean, essentially like it, it looked, it looked like that at times where like Adams was kind of alone. Like the center backs had the ball. Adams was kind of like alone in the center and Acosta and Legette are like basically around where like Aronson and, and Pulisic were and Pulisic so many times it had to just be like fuck it i have to actually go back to like where the fucking center backs are to get the ball now because do you know how easy that is to defend like this is again it goes back to my point it's so simple to defend a midfield like not even duo just uno it's it's so it's so simple and it feels like football 101 when i look at the way this team has played over the last two games both in defensive transition and in, I, I wouldn't even call it attacking transition. I would call it attacking buildup, where buildup yeah. just stalls because, again, they cannot find space between the lines because all you have to do is put two players on Tyler Adams or whoever the holding midfielder is on, and your passing lanes are gone. There are no options. And that was the biggest problem in both of these games. So it, See now I'm all riled up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and uh, I, I mean the the goal that they end up conceding. Yeah, this, this goes back to me with Yedlin. Like he's he's obviously he's a bit too close to the touchline. The ball just gets played on the inside of him. And look, maybe in 2014, um, DeAndre Yedlin could have kept up with. I mean, honestly, I'm not even sure if in if 2014 DeAndre Yedlin is keeping up with Alfonso Davies. I no, just don't. I just no, don't no, think no. he could. I just don't think he could. And and it falls back on on the issues. Same outside of the defensive issues with Yedlin, he's kind of a zero with the ball. He's he contributes almost nothing. He contributed almost nothing against El Salvador like, in terms of like yeah. a build up in terms of like helping to create any chances um and the funny the funny thing the is I, I will only say one one very specific thing about deandre edlin um i think i went to see the u.s men's national team play a couple of years ago when they came to philly and i forget who they played i forget it may have been el salvador um in i think it was like the special edition of the Copa america in the u.s and my dad hated this is a complete non sequitur but he absolutely he was he got a red card during the game too and he was like all this player does is just run and kick at people and that is his only his only specialty basically um or skill set and five four or five years later 
still pretty true. <laughs> yeah, it's um, he he doesn't offer enough. He just doesn't simply doesn't offer enough to the team on either side of the ball to warrant to warrant starting much more in these in any of these qualifiers. Honestly, true. um, and and that's that's a big issue because it felt like right back was the U.S.'s probably most most um confident position because of just the amount of of young right backs that they that they have that, that are um that are making their way through europe and playing and playing well at their own clubs uh, out i think outside of yedlin again <laughs> but, yeah yeah <laughs> um i think we've given up him enough time at this point <laughs> yeah yeah um but but that that feels like an issue and look obviously there's the issues with the striker whatever like that's look most most teams most national teams don't have a prolific striker that's just we can like moan and cry about it as much as we want and be like oh no one's taking no one's taking over like the nine position on the on the national teams like yeah Yeah. I mean most most national teams don't it's just like you know you sometimes you have Lewandowski and the rest of your team sucks and Lewandowski (laughs) is enough to get you through a lot of a lot of uh, a lot of national team games and Not, sometimes no. the rest of your team is solid and your number nine is fred up top for like your, your brazil like like i don't like it's it's it is what it is um you don't need a number nine you don't need a prolific scoring number nine to be able to create chances that's that is what I think has to be separated with that the discussion about oh like you know we don't have a reliable number nine whatever it is um it, you one player doesn't mean that you now can create all of these chances might mean you score more but it doesn't mean you automatically end up creating chances so right that's where the, the issues are, are in the are in the um are just in the way that the team moves the ball forward you said it guys. <laughs> um so who, who would I have guess thought that, would... that uh, soccernomics would come so in handy? <laughs> I guess, but I guess that that also takes us to another, you know, the probably more pressing question is, Ellie, should we, well, actually, sh- should we be concerned? I, I this is, I'm going to say all things considered, considering what's happened in these first couple games, um, considering the points taken from them and then obviously you have to consider what has gone on Weston McKenney in this camp yeah see we never being... got to that and I was gonna bring it up but uh our man's, oh, well, no, our man's Weston it. McKenney um decided that it was a good move to to go full James Harden apparently at some point in the no he definitely didn't but listen I I will say this from a sporting point of view Weston McKenney was sorely missed in this Canada game. Sorely missed. From a purely personal commentary point of view, I'm not really sure what's gone on with him, quite frankly. Like, I just genuinely, I would love to be inside of his head to think through his process or his thought process because now his status at Juventus is kind of up in the air. And that's a bigger issue in my opinion not to say that your national team status is not a big issue i'm just saying that 
the repercussions are yeah. pretty they're linked pretty significant like they're linked fully very right because he got in trouble last november for a similar situation had a party hosted a party at his um condo or wherever in in you at juventus and I, I think I think it was like Paolo Dybala and I think it was like Artur were also at the party. So all three of them end up, you know, breaking protocol, COVID protocols, end up getting suspended for uh, the Torino Derby. Now we see like what's this? Almost ten months later, a similar situation. And and honestly, like uh, I think a worse situation in the fact that he he's not at home he's not like his home he's in the team hotel and he's basically pulled a a phil foden and uh, mason greenwood when they were in iceland last last summer um with the england national team and and had their own similar uh, um issues with with the icelandic girls and getting and they got sent home as well right? right right Um, but this is a bigger issue because this is a World Cup qualifier. Like this is like like the 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 amount of work that was put into getting to this point to like preparing for this for these first few set of games and preparing for this whole run to to a World Cup. It's like really disappointing. It's really, really disappointing that he would kind of jeopardize like his his team not only himself not only his own status but his team's status at potentially making a world cup right and then obviously you throw in that this is not going to be unseen from from juventus (laughs) this isn't they're not going to like just wash over this either do you think that there's an element of immaturity that comes with this we say it's it's really what's really ironic about all this by the way is that i (sighs) weston mckinney's 23 right? He just turned 23. So he is almost a full year younger than us. So uh, he is actually so it like, it's really ironic that we're having a conversation about maturity as it relates to someone who's essentially our age. That's that's all. We're potentially not the people to be throwing (laughs) that much shade at him. But (laughs) well, no, I I wouldn't go that far. Because yeah, there's still yeah, an I, element I of responsibility like that, here. Exactly. That we I was, don't I have. Saying, I, I, I like, should stress that we that, do not have. <laughs> I'd like to think that if we were in this situation, we could keep it in our pants for just a few more days. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I would I would hope so. Um, especially considering the amount of, of just like time that you've put in in like your life in general, working to get into stuff point, like yeah. this you know um but yeah i i I guess not to stay on the the weston mckinney stuff for for much more like we don't know the full situation um the reports are he went out one night and was warned and then on a second occasion brought someone an unauthorized person um into the team hotel and and violated a second set of protocols so that, like I said, it's extremely disappointing, but at least on a, on a wider scale, how much should we actually be concerned 
with this team's route to the to the World Cup. And then if you want to go on go into it too, just like concerned in general. From from like a sporting port point of view, I would say I am cautious. I'm not I'm not worried yet. I'm cautious, but this is obviously not a great start. They still have another game against Honduras to end on a high note from this international break. They still have several more between now and the end of the the club season. My concern is more so around the fact that once we get into the March timeframe, these players will once again be exhausted and there will be a very much like a go, go, go type of feeling to the season. And it's stuff like this. And when I say stuff like this, I mean specifically the mistakes that Greg Berhalter made during this game. It's stuff like this where one draw or one unexpected result could lead to you missing out on the World Cup. And you're walking a very, very thin line right now because your biggest competition is probably Mexico, Canada, Jamaica, and I would say, I would say those three at least, right, are probably your, your biggest competition. Maybe, uh, maybe in years past Costa Rica. I was going to say Costa Rica, but, but like but that, that I, they're not at the same level anymore. Yeah, um, and and to be fair, Jamaica have had a terrible start anyway. So they've had a terrible, yeah, yeah. So it may may not be the case that they are, but certainly Mexico and Canada. Um, so if you screw this up, boy, I don't want to see. Taylor Twelman's Twitter reactions, <clears throat> but I will. I will say I'm very cautious. Yeah, I I think worried is a bit much as mm-hmm. well. You know, we're two games in. There's 12 left um, to qualify. It's the concern is really in the sense of Berhalter's coming up on three years being the coach since uh, I think it's November, 2018, November, December, 2018. We're three years in Um, granted 2020 is almost was almost a wash because of COVID, right? The team would have gotten to play probably like five, at least five or six games together um, in, in that time period that, you know, basically no internationals were going on, but you know, all that being said, we're almost three years in and yes, the teams can keep possession very well. They do a great job at keeping possession um, against inferior talent, but the, there's been almost no progression in terms of creating chances in terms of being more aesthetically pleasing, which is what, which is what we were kind of promised, right? With this, with with this, not only this generation, but with this coach, with this hiring. Um, <laughs> like, for whatever reason, <laughs> the U.S. refused to talk with Julian Lopetegui, who reached. Who you will actually, never let that go. I will, will never let it go. Yeah. I will actually never let it go because he genuinely reached out with interest. It was not even like the other way around. Um, and and whatever we've talked about how good a coach we think he is so yes i'm always going to be bitter about that but <laughs> um 
it's what we were promised and we're not seeing that um as much credit as i'll give to the team being able to i think it's still a very, a very good defensive team uh, as they've shown and in more off way more often than not like the canada game was was tough but again you know when you put yourself in the position against a team that might have inferior talent but high level like top level talent are just as good probably <laughs> like when you're talking about like who their best one or two players are and, and like jonathan david and and um and alfonso davies mm-hmm. and, you, and you can even throw in Lurin, who who plays um i think on Besiktas for so he plays for a champions league team um th- it's it's not enough just to have possession and just kind of create a couple very good chances like right right the other team was the talent level was too good on the other side to think that you would pretty much be able to keep out ev- any potential chances that Canada was trying to uh create and in the end they really created one very good chance where John Brooks, for whatever reason, just stopped running, just stopped. Um, I love John Brooks. That's the problem. I just, that yeah. was also like, obviously not this, not the same level of, of the McKenney disappointment, but that was also very, very disappointing from the most experienced um, center back on the team, the most experienced world cup, spanner back on the team the, the one who actually played in 2014 world cup and played through some qualifiers yeah like, uh, to to make the mistake of just like switching off um allowing Lauren to get basically no one around him to for to tap it in um super disappointing and uh i think you know you have to be confident going into these games because and, and my confidence level is still uh, at the point where we have enough i know that we can win these games and and i know that we can win them ugly we've won a lot of the games that were won over the summer were i won't wins. argue that <laughs> i won't argue that at all <laughs> i know that we can do it ugly and, and basically make it a rock fight but um no my concern going forward is just you know it's you want it you want this team to be more fun to watch and 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 they're not they're not as as fun as as we would like and um that's the biggest disappointment but again not not concerned let's check back in 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 october after the next set of, of games um then we can start playing around with that panic button yep i think that's fair i think that's fair i think that's probably uh a good note to end on for now it's not the end of the world but hey we're always getting closer <laughs> that's, that's the title of the podcast it's, it's not, not the end zero of the world. points <laughs> it's not, not zero points. points that's true there is a world where we can qualify with 14 draws <laughs> is there actually is there actually oh my god that might actually 14 be points could be enough it could be i'm just trying to do the math in my head with what eight? Two, oh God, that's a horrible thought. That I mean, once you start looking at footballing results in the context of basically like what grade do I need to pass this class, then you know that you're not really setting yourself up for success. Uh, well, Wednesday they go to Honduras, so that should go fantastic. That should, um, yeah, yeah. 
I'm I'm actually Joey. scared for that specific game, but overall, I still maintain my position. <laughs> uh, so you know, we'll see. No Gio Reyna because of uh, a hamstring strain. No Serginio Dest, who I, I believe sprained his ankle during the the Canada game. That's why he had to get subbed off right before halftime. Um, True. And of course, no Weston McKenney. So, so the guy, Burhalter. Thought it'd be a great idea to call up Jackson Yule again, and and you know what? I I almost applaud his trolling. It feels like he is trying to piss me off. So I is almost applaud it. He's getting he's yeah more or less. He's yeah. There ready. you go. Look now, if Yule doesn't play a minute on Wednesday, then it's just kind of like, what was the point? <laughs> but the second that that man steps on the field, um, and the U.S. are not our already up by multiple goals um i'm gonna be fuming just a bit i don't disagree with that i honestly don't disagree with that in the slightest so i do think that this game against honduras will actually be a really good test for them more so than uh an area for concern which by the way i am very concerned about them for this game but it's more so i think a good test to get a sense of what's the mental resolve of this team because that will be very dependent on how far they go during qualifiers. Let's forget about the World Cup for a second, because they need to get there at this rate. Uh, well, there's no point in being a fan of this stupid <laughs> federation if you aren't ready to be absolutely pissed off from time to time. So, To be fair, that has been the motto for the last 20 years. Yeah. <laughs> or, or so or so but yeah anyway with that i think we'll take a pause we'll come back with some more content i don't know we'll figure it out <laughs> this this one took a lot out of me so ladies and gentlemen we'll be right back 